Again, I'm uh, really glad that you decided to be a part of this uh, worship uh, time, uh, either online or uh, on-site. Appreciate uh, both of those. Uh, quick uh, reminder slash invitation slash set of instructions. So I guess it's not quick, it's already a three-pointer. All right, so first of all, just a reminder, if you uh, haven't heard, we are trying to read one chapter of the Gospel of John every day, every month this year. There are 21 chapters, that means there's several days left over, even in February, and so if you get behind, you can catch up easily, that's fine. Uh, so we're going to basically read through the Gospel of John 12 times this year. It's kind of a congregational project that I'm inviting you to participate in. There's uh, on the bulletin board, uh, since we've passed the 21st of January, I've started a place for you to report. And you don't need to report if you're still working on yours, just keep working. Uh, uh, but if you get a chance to report, you finished off uh, you know, all the chapters you're going to read for the month or whatever, you can write them on a yellow sticky note. They're right there. Uh, take a pen from the clean pen cup. And when you're done, put it in the dirty pen cup. I know. I remember growing up, we were watching the Jetsons and thinking in 2020, we're all going to learn to fly, you know, be flying cars and highways and floating out in the you know, houses in the sky and all that kind of stuff. And, and now we're just teaching each other how to wash our hands and avoid dirty things. But hey, this is the way it is. So, uh, clean cup, write it on there. You can stick the number on the one that says January. We'll put one up for February at the end, toward the end of February, and we'll do that all through there. We're just gonna keep a running tally. So at the end, when everybody's had an opportunity to report for January, um, we're going to collect all those numbers and put them on there. Now somebody at home online is thinking, well, how am I going to report because I'm not there? Glad you ask. <laughs> if you look at the uh, top of the Bay City Wesleyan Church Facebook page, we pinned a post that has a survey. It says, how many chapters have you read? You, if you click on that, it'll take you to a place where you can just write down. 10, 15, 20, 21. If you're a super achiever, you can say 31 because you just start it all over again. I, I'm fine with that. Uh, and it's anonymous, so nobody's going to be going, ooh, look what they did. <laughs> or why didn't they do that? Hey, they didn't report anything. What's up with that? Nobody, nobody, nobody's measuring that stuff. Uh, so just wanted to put that out there uh, so you know what's going on. One chapter a day. The Gospel of John every month, and uh, we're going to know Jesus better by the end of this year. That's all I can say. If nothing else, you, you, from doing this, you will know Jesus better. And you might find out that he's not exactly what you thought he was, or who he thought you thought he was. <sighs> that could be scary. I don't know why Pastor Mark said that, but he did. So, okay. Uh, we're in a series called I Like to Give, which is interesting because, let's be honest, we don't. But we, we do give at one time or another. We don't, might drop some coins into the, 
little red kettle for the Salvation Army at the holiday times. We, uh, we might chip in for flowers for a co-worker's family uh, member when they pass. Or, or we might, you know, we give. But I'm pretty sure we don't like it. Generosity feels strange to us. I mean, we, we live in a world that says, look out for number one. Where's my piece of the pie? Uh, why can't I have more? Why don't you give me more? Uh, it seems odd to look out for other people when we have so many needs of our own. Generosity feels strange. We give, but we often do it out of a feeling of obligation. I have to. Or, uh, or I, I hate the, I'll just be honest with you, I hate the end of the year where people start making appeals for you to give money to whatever cause they want to support so that you can get tax credit for it in that year. Not that I'm opposed to getting tax credits. Uh, I, I, I just think that's, well, that's just a sign of why generosity would seem so strange to us. We want something back in everything we do. A tax credit? Uh, our neighbor going, whoa, look what they got. Look what they did. Or just, you know, freedom from a guilty conscience. At least I gave something, right? Um, we might give so people will talk about how much we gave. Um, another pet peeve. Okay. No, the Holy Spirit said don't share that. So I won't. Uh, in other words, here's the deal. Generosity seems strange to us because we give when we believe that somehow it's going to benefit us in some way, shape, or form. We have this tendency to be that way. The idea of giving because we like to give can seem illogical, almost counterintuitive. Um, I believe the Holy Spirit is inviting you and me and all of us to discover the life-changing power of generosity, to, to move into the genuine enjoyment of giving. So we are in what is in the, the Bible, a letter called 2 Corinthians. The, is the, I'm going to give you a quick backstory of this letter. That the Holy Spirit made the same invitation, that invitation to experience the transforming power of generosity, to the Jesus followers in the Greek city of Corinth about 2,000 years ago in a letter from Paul. Paul was the first missionary, uh, century missionary who had launched this congregation, started this church uh, in this city, um, and what we're going to talk about today is based on that letter that he sent back to them because he had gone away and continued to travel and to start other, other churches. Now, when I look at the letters in the New Testament, particularly the, the long letters like 2 Corinthians, I like to think of the chapters as pages. 
it's been a long time since I got I received a letter with multiple pages um, but I like to think of the chapters as one of those letters I mean so today we're going to be in the eighth and ninth pages or the eighth and ninth chapters uh, of Paul's directions to the Corinthians regarding a collection that the churches outside of Judea, outside of what we now call Israel or the Middle East, uh, outside of Jerusalem were taking, uh, uh, they were making a collection for the Jesus followers in Jerusalem. Corinth was a relatively wealthy city. Uh, Bay City is probably not thought of as a relatively wealthy town. Some of you are shaking your heads. Mm -hmm. Okay. I don't know what you would consider a relatively wealthy town. Maybe it's in Silicon Valley. Maybe it's New York City with all the stock exchanges. I don't, you know. But Corinth wasn't a little town with, you know, just, it was a big city, relatively big city with a lot of big business going on. Jerusalem, on the other hand, was, uh, well, it, it was the capital for the Jewish people. It was the center of their religious life. Uh, but it was a relatively poor city. And they had a lot of famines. A lot of times when the people were hungry. Because it's... It, just Google it sometime. Picture of uh, Jerusalem. It's on a rocky hill with very little vegetation on it. So it's not like anything we have in Michigan. Uh, it's just desert kind of place. So these people often were in need because of that. Northern Greece, which is also called Macedonia, by the way, was another relatively poor area. They weren't wealthy. These were people who were just scraping it together to get by. That's important because we're going to talk about these two or three regions in Paul's uh, letter here. The Corinthians were Greeks. There were some ethnicity separations here as well. The, the Corinthians were primarily Greeks. The people in Jerusalem were primarily Jews. Jews didn't have a whole lot of admiration and love for the Greeks. The Greeks didn't think anybody else was all that great. They didn't even like the Romans, but they had to believe <laughs> because they carried big swords. They had to be nice to them. But otherwise, if you weren't a Greek, well, you know, it's just okay. Too bad. Sorry. So we have these ethnic differences. We have these socioeconomic differences. And I want you to follow along as I read Paul's instructions to these relatively wealthy people in a relatively wealthy city about giving and generosity. We're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 8 through 15. Paul returns to the theme in chapter 9, verses 1 to 8. So, I, so it's like he's one, one page, he talks about it, he flips the page and goes, mm, I'm not quite done, let's talk about it again. So he says, in verse 8, 
I am not commanding you. But I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. And here's my judgment about what is best for you in this matter. Last year, you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to give. It was like, this was your idea. Okay? And now, finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. Those are important words. He goes on to say, For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. Our, our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but that there might be equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need so that in turn, their plenty will supply what you need. The goal is equality. As it is written, the one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. I'm just going to pause for a moment for those of us who wonder what in the world is that? That's... That is a story that goes all the way back to the books of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. The story of God bringing his people out of Egypt, out of slavery in Egypt, into the promised land. And in the process, as they went through the big desert there, he provided with them with manna every day. And if you had a small family, you'd go out, and there was always enough for you. You'd find enough manna to collect a little for your little family. If you had a huge family, you got always enough. That's what Paul's talking about. Those who gathered much didn't have too much. It's a good thing because it also tells us that if they had too much, it spoiled before the next day. I don't know. I wasn't there, but I think they said it stunk. It looked ugly. So that's what he's talking about. Your needs would be taken care of. Don't preach that yet. Okay. So let's talk about this theme. Paul continues this theme over in, in the next chapter on the ninth page, so to speak. Starting in verse 1, he says, There is no need for me to write to you about this service to the Lord's people. So he's talking about giving this collection as an act of service to other people who belong to Jesus. He says, I know your eagerness to help, and I have been boasting about it to the Macedonians, the people in northern Greece who don't have as much money as you do. I have been boasting about it to them, telling them that since last year, you in Achaia, southern Greece, Corinth, were ready to give, and your enthusiasm has stirred them to action. 
But I'm sending the brothers in order, the letters were carried by people, and he sent these letters, this letter to them by some men from fellow Christians. In, he says, I'm sending the brothers in order that our boasting about you in this matter should not prove hollow, but that you may be ready as I said you would be. For if any Macedonians came with me and find you unprepared, we not to say anything about you, would be ashamed of having been so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to visit you in advance and finish the arrangement for the generous gift you had promised. Then it will be ready as a generous gift, not as one grudgingly given. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. <clears throat> and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. So, there's a lot of stuff in there, and some of it we'll come back to again next week. Not this week. But today, I want, it just seems to me that as Paul is, is talking to these writing to these Corinthians about this collection for the folks in Jerusalem, it seems to me that Paul is focusing on answering the question, what should motivate Jesus' followers to give? And one of the things you notice is he doesn't mention guilt. He doesn't mention tax incentives. What, what is it that's supposed to motivate us? His instructions clearly indicate that our motivation for giving can either be obligation, giving because we feel like we have to or ought to, or generosity, giving because we like it and enjoy it. So I think there are a couple of things at least that, that stand out to me in, the, in these instructions. One of the things that principles that Paul gives us is why you give eclipse, eclipses how much you give. You can give a huge amount of money because you feel like you have to and it won't count nearly as much to Jesus as if you gave a smaller amount because you liked it and enjoyed it. Now, just pause for a moment. There's a thing in many of us that's kind of selfish. And some of us were just now thinking, oh, cool. Well, I think I could enjoy giving five bucks instead of 20. That's not quite where we're headed with this. 
just so you know. So why, why you give eclipses how much you give. Deliberate giving dwarfs seemingly impressive, impulsive gifts. Yet Paul talks to them about deciding and promising and then fulfilling. Think about what you have and what you want to give and then do it. Instead of all of a sudden having somebody pulling all the emotional chains and having you write a check for something you can't afford to give or, or a donation you, you can't afford to make uh, simply because, well, if you're going to feel better or they're going to think you're a really good person. So that brings us to the sermon and the sentence for today. Uh, eager generosity... Do, uh, tops your donation amount. Giving out of generosity, enjoying what you're doing, being able to say, I like giving. I'm not doing this because I have to. I'm not doing this because somebody else is guilt tripping me into it. I'm not doing this for recognition. I'm just doing it because it's fun. That tops what, how much you can give. So somebody who doesn't have a big bank account can give just as an impressive a gift as far as Jesus is concerned, or maybe even more impressive, than a person with a large bank account. So, well, many, some of you know, one of my favorite questions is why. And so why, I'm gonna ask, why does genuine generosity feel strange? Why do we lean toward looking out for ourselves, uh, for us, and not for them? Why is it so easy to, to look for, out for us? Why, why do we often give out of a feeling of obligation or looking good to other people or getting some kind of credit for it? In, in other words, why are we selfish and self-centered even when we're giving? to me to be a little blunt but sometimes I, I worked on that hard <laughs> that's, that's, that's the nicest sentence I can come up with you know okay why, why are we selfish and self-centered even when we're giving what prevents us from giving because we like it I thought about that, those questions, I began to think, could this be another indication that we are broken people living in a broken world? And I think the answer is yes. So we would like to think that we're okay. Well, there was a book when I was when I was in, in college, there was a book that came out called, I'm okay, you're okay. And then it was all about how my being okay and your being okay is gonna help us both be better. Well, if I'm okay and you're okay, why do I need to get better? Or why do you need to get better? We're okay. Oh, okay. No need to change, no need to grow, I'm okay. We're okay with being broken. It's normal. 
Now, he's going to show up differently. It will show up differently in each person. But we are essentially distrustful people. We have to look out for number one because everyone else is looking out for number one. We don't enjoy giving because there's this nagging question in the back of our heads about if I let go of this, what about me? Who's going to take care of me? If I don't take care of me, who's going to take care of me? And if I don't have this, that's that much less I have to take care of me with. That's the reason we don't like giving. We may give, but there's this thing in the back of the head or the back of our hearts or minds or whatever you want to call it that's just kind of nagging at us. Well, what about? What about you? What about me? How are we going to do this? Now, if you're not a Jesus follower, you can completely relax because this thing about generosity is only for people who follow Jesus. However, if you think that in the future sometime you might be a follower of Jesus, take notes. And if you are a follower of Jesus, take lots of notes. That's what we're about to say here. See, Jesus, if you're a Jesus follower, he's the one who sets the standard and the example Forgiving and generosity. Paul dropped Jesus' example right here into these instructions. I don't know if you caught it or not, but this is what he said in chapter 8, verse 9. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yeah, this, you know, that's kind of like the understatement. He's the creator of everything, so he owned everything. He ruled over Everything, even though he was rich and had it all, literally. Yet for your sake he became poor. Even when he came to this world, he didn't come as a rich person, he came as a poor person. I don't understand. <laughs> you know, there's a bad, it's a bad sign when you're, you're, uh, you're, uh, your notes start telling you they don't understand. <laughs> now I'm panic stricken. How, who else have I lost? Okay, so even though he was rich, for your sakes he became poor, so that through his poverty, his death, his life, death, resurrection, his, his poverty, you might become rich. He had us everything, and he became poor so that you can have everything. Literally, share his stuff. So Jesus is the answer to that nagging question of who's going to look out for me? If I can't trust me, who's to take care of me and meet my needs? Who, who, who's going to do it? The answer is Jesus. He will. See, Jesus is, gives us someone we can trust. So we can start be, 
becoming more trustful people because we found someone who ultimately we can trust completely. Just think about this for a moment. In the answer to that question that's always nagging, who can I trust? Who's going to take care of me? If you can't trust Jesus, who's willing to leave the throne of heaven, become a human being, and allow us to kill him, because he loves us, and because he wants to share all that he is and all that he has with us. If you can't trust him, wow, you're in a world of hurt. Because there is nobody who's going to love you like Jesus. There is nobody who's going to care for you like Jesus. And here's the bottom line. Not even you can care for yourself like Jesus. Jesus gives us somebody we can trust. He will see us through all the brokenness in this world. He'll see us through it. You and I struggle with giving generously, genuinely giving generously, because we don't know who to trust. But we can trust Jesus. And out of that trust for Jesus, we'll grow a love for Jesus and for all the people that he loves which is everyone, no exceptions. And out of that trusting love for Jesus and all the people that he loves, will grow a genuine generosity. You will learn to, to like to give. You will find it fun. But it's a matter of trusting him completely. Toward the beginning of the eighth chapter, the eighth page of the letter to the Second Corinthians, as he talked to them and introduced to them the fact that the folks in Macedonia had got, become excited about giving to this collection, Paul says they gave in a way that surprised him, essentially. He says they didn't do it the way I expected them to. They first gave themselves to the Lord and to us. They first trusted Jesus completely and began to love his people. But I understand him to be saying. So the question I guess I want us to think about if we're claiming to follow Jesus, if we want to be Jesus followers, do you trust him? Do you trust him? Let's pray. Holy Spirit, open our eyes. We want to see Jesus. We want to know that we can trust Him. 
with everything. I mean, it's so easy to trust him with, well, you know, we can trust him with our sins and forgiveness. That's, that's we can do that. Uh, we can trust him with an hour or two out of the week, particularly on Sundays, maybe. Uh, but we want to trust him with everything. 24 hours a day, seven days a week, every single day of our lives and beyond. We want to sit trust him with all our possessions and all that we don't possess. We want to trust him. We want to see Jesus. To experience the transforming power of his love for us and for everyone. Somehow. Help us to move from the idea that Jesus loves us to the experience of his love. Help us to hear him say, hey, I really love you. I enjoy being with you. I like you. We want to see Jesus. And we want to learn to give like he gives. We want to enjoy giving. So Jesus... Teach us to give like you. Amen. Again, I want to thank you for uh, connecting with us, particularly those who are connecting online. I want to encourage you, if you've not already done this, to join our Facebook group, uh, Champions of Hope. By the way, if you're here as well and you're on Facebook and you've not joined the Champions of Hope, I'm going to encourage you to do that. You're going to receive some unique content there. And you're also going to have opportunity to connect with people, other people who are seeking to infuse people with the hope of Jesus. So, I encourage you to go out in peace. Have courage. Hold on to what is good. Return blessings for evil. Strengthen the faint-hearted. Support the weak. Help the suffering. Honor everyone. Love and serve Jesus by loving and serving others. Rejoice in the power of His Holy Spirit. You are sent. Go. Go.